Live from Lemurk Park, USA, I'm Tavis Smiley, and you're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. So glad to see you and me uh, back in stride again. Our phone number, 1-800-920-1580, 1-800-920-1580. All of our socials can be found at KBLA 1580. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Everything is at KBLA 1580. Let me also invite you right now to download our app at KBLA 1580. Download the app and take us with you anywhere in the world and listen to us in real time. But only if you download the app right now at KBLA 1580. Should you miss us any day in real time, check out the podcast of this program by going to the app, the website, Anchor, Spotify, Apple, so many places to get the podcast of this program and listen at your leisure should you miss us any day in real time, but I am delighted to have you along live with us today for the next three hours. You can also watch the live stream of this program by tapping on the KBLA TV icon on our app or by going to our YouTube channel. And let me also invite you to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at The Real Tavis Smiley and get Twitter updates at Tavis Smiley. Another great show on tap for you today. In our second hour, a conversation with Martin Luther King III and Andrea Waters King about their civil and human rights advocacy and their new docuseries, Protect, Serve. In our third hour. Oh, Michael, Michael, you know you is much more cute and personal than you is in TV. Thank you. <laughs> and you know something, you know something, you know what I like? I like, you know, when you go to do the layer shot and everything and you stick your tongue out, it is so sexy. Thank you. No, 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 no. You know, can I just tell you something? You know, most people, they want your autograph and everything. I do not want your autograph. You know what I want? No. Okay, let me tell you, okay. Now, I used to play basketball in high school, right? And I was thinking that maybe, you know, later on, me and you, we could play a little one-on-one with your tongue. I don't think so. Oh, okay. I, got some I understand, I understand, you know. But Miguel, you know, este, que, no, tu sabes que lo, eh, how you say? You know, Mike, I just want to say that, you know, I just want to know, dime, uh, are you married? Yes, I am. Oh, me too. You know, and I just wanted to know, you know, you married. I wanted to know if your wife, if she was, you know, around, you know? Yeah, I really got to go. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. You know, okay, one last thing. You know, you could really make my dream come true because it has been my lifelong dream, okay, to be a Laker girl like Paula Abdul. Well, I don't play for the Lakers. I play for the Bulls. So? Lakers, Bulls, same thing, right? Well, not exactly. Oh, you don't have to get loud at me just because I made a mistake and everything, okay? I wasn't getting loud. Yes, she was. You was getting loud at me, and I think that you know that's not really. Hey, don't push really me. Go. Hey, you don't have to push me. Hey, you know I could sue you. Hey, don't make me take away everything you earn. Hey, you see me pushing me, and I don't play that. Excuse me. A women's sixty month conversation with SNL alum Ellen Cleghorn. There you heard Ellen Cleghorn uh, in a skit with Michael Jordan when he was hosting SNL back in the day. Uh, I could call her, and I will call her, in fact, Dr. Ellen Cleghorn. She does, in fact, have a Ph.D. from NYU. Ellen will join us for a career conversation to talk about her pioneering role as a black woman on SNL. Pay equity for women in Hollywood, the challenges comedians face today due to cancel culture, and a great deal more. Ellen Cleghorn, Dr. Ellen Cleghorn of SNL, joins us in our third hour today. But let's commence today's program talking politics with editorial director and publisher of The Nation magazine, Katrina Vanden Heuvel. Katrina, how are you today? I would love to hang on and listen to your third hour. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Dr. Cleghorn, that's got me going. I yeah, love it. She's, uh, she's amazing. True, and you know, SNL, I, I saw... Tina Fey at an event here a few days ago, and mm-hmm. she was the first woman to head the writing group. That's true yeah. at SNL. Mm-hmm. So it's great to 
more women on that show because it it's had some great alum, yeah, Gilda Radner, others, but it's also you know it's it's defined by its guys. It has it has in fact been defined by its guys, not unlike most of America. And uh, I look forward to talking to Ellen uh, <laughs> specifically about the role and the journey that Black women in particular. Uh, yes. Tina Fey, uh, again, a great, great, great artist. But uh, black women have had a different road to hold, so to speak, when it comes to uh, their exposure and opportunities on SNL. So we'll talk to Ellen Cleghorn in our three. And again, in our two, talk to Martin Luther King III and his wife, Andrea Waters King. So a great show uh, on tap for you today. But uh, you couldn't have a better start uh, than to launch with Katrina Van of The Nation magazine. Katrina, I was walking in the studio this morning thinking it, it, it's hard to know where to start. I mean, every time you're on, <laughs> I know. we have great conversations. Conversation, but there's just so much stuff to unpack. I'm glad I've got you for the hour. Let me just, I think I want to start with this, uh, and I'll follow you throughout this hour. But all I got to do is say to you, Fox News, and say go. So go, Katrina. Okay. Well, what we've uh, seen in the last weeks is the release of material inside Fox News as a result of this lawsuit that has been brought by Dominion Voting Services. People may have followed some of this, mm-hmm. uh, but it's... Uh, it's defamation. The uh, Fox forces alleged that Dominion voting ser- voting machines weren't working. They had ties to Venezuela. There was a whole set of allegations. What's really interesting, Tavis, though, is to read these internal documents that have been part of the depositions and to see how clearly Fox News has not been a news organization. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a it's a political organization. Part of what the anchors like Tucker and Laura Ingram and Hannity were doing, they were worried that they weren't going to respect, quote, respect the viewers, the hardcore Trump voters, viewers. And so they they essentially lied to their audience about the outcome of the election and the votes, knowing, full knowing that they were doing so. And in fact, there's Tucker Carlson saying, you know, Trump is mad we got to get something going here to counter him. And and Murdoch, sitting above it all, understanding it was also a farce, not a farce, but a tragedy mm-hmm. in how Fox was leading on its viewers. Uh, and so I think it's going, to be an, it's going to be an important legal case, Tavis, if it goes to the Supreme Court, because it's possible with this court composition, you could see an unraveling of the important First Amendment protections uh, in Sullivan, an important case decades ago. But I think the court will be much more careful uh, in handling this. And it is, in the end, it exposes Fox for what it is. I remember President Obama, you may remember this. He he didn't want to privilege Fox as a news organization at one point fairly early, I think, in his presidential life. Mm-hmm. And a lot of news organizations were pissed off. And he kind of had to wrap it back around but I, I do think we see Fox for what it is. It's political mobilization. It's not into the basics of truth telling by any measure. But you know what? Fox may be old news, Tavis. I mean, you got new social media forces like alt-right Rumble and their, uh, America, you know, the Bannon forces. So it, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes up the right-wing media landscape. It will be fascinating to watch that. Um, I want to come to that in a second. Before I do that, though, what do you make of, 
And when these court cases happen, is why people oftentimes settle because they don't want, I think of the NFL, for example, and any number of other major organizations, they settle when they're in certain situations because they don't want all of their business coming out. They don't want all their, uh, as we say in the black community, dirty laundry in the street, right? Uh, and what's fascinating about this case are, are all the text messages that we are now getting yep. a chance to read. I mean, so to your point about Tucker and Laura and Sean and the crew over there, and I know all these persons um, have known them for years, as have you. Uh, but when you when you see Tucker uh, in a text message saying how much he hates Donald Trump, how much he yeah hates. I mean, how does he live with himself? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like he's a it's, dual, triple character, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you're you're, you're, you're spinning you're, you're you're spinning for this guy every night. But, but exactly, but you're I saying know. on text how much you hate this guy. Well, I mean, it's it, it is. Listen. The amount of material, texts and other, that have already been disclosed through deposition is startling. I'm startled that there wasn't some settlement before because mm, we've exactly. gotten a lot of stuff. That's my point, yeah. And a lot of stuff. And, you know, people, my father used to say, don't write anything in an email you wouldn't want to see on the front page of the New York Times. <laughs> well, that, that, we, people yeah. have not been abiding by that. Um, but, you know, I mean, I don't know if people are shocked because... They've been wearing dual, triple faces over there for a long time. Yeah. And you knew there was a war between the the Fox forces and Giuliani and Sidney Powell. That's come out, and it's known now. It's confirmed. Mm -hmm. But I still think that it's the question of how, not just legally, but how it takes a hit at Fox as we move into a critical election mm -hmm. will be interesting to see. I do think it's a measure of Trump's holding power. Right. I know there are people who say C CPAC doesn't matter, but he still has a base. And it's that base that Fox is apparently pretty clearly fearful yeah. of losing. You know, Mr. Murdoch is not red, blue. He's really about green. <laughs> yeah. And he's been open about that. So where this heads will be fascinating to watch. Speaking of where, where this heads, when we come forward, I, I, want, I want to come uh, right back to this issue of Trump and CPAC. We talked about it the other day uh, on Monday after you appeared over the weekend. I want to get your take on that more expressly, number one. Number two, I, I want to just I want to noodle this during um, the next few minutes here. And that is this notion of whether or not I think that Fox is going to take a hit for this. I said a moment ago that it is surprising to me, knowing how this stuff works, uh, I've been around for a little while now, um, that, uh, as Katrina said, Fox didn't settle. They had to know that all of this discovery was going to come out in court. And, um, and yet they made a decision, a calculated decision, obviously, to, to proceed anyway without settling, knowing again this stuff was going to come out. So they must be calculating that the hit we think they're going to take they really ain't going to take, not with their base. So even when they are exposed who they really are, they must be uh, assuming or calculating once again that they are not going to take a real hit when all is said and done. A lot more to explore and a great deal more to get to. Uh, President Biden giving a major speech today about his budget. Uh, again, a lot to talk about in this hour. I'm so pleased to be joined once again by our friend Katrina Vanden Heuvel of The Nation magazine. You're listening to her right now on KBLA Talk 1580 publisher of the nation magazine so katrina you heard me a moment ago um you and i were kind of figuring out whether or not fox is going to take a hit for this uh, again i'm still trying to figure out why they didn't settle knowing all this stuff in discovery would eventually come out in the trial you know but yeah. but, but they didn't settle so now it's out and maybe they've calculated they're not going to take a hit with with that core base so i think there's an arrogance to fox's decision not, uh, to, not to settle in some way there's a belief of sort of infallibility mm -hmm. 
and they're you know they're eager to keep their base viewers it's like a you know like the right wing of the republican party uh in the sense it's not a news organization it's pandering or catering uh they use the word respect for mm. their viewers um but i you know one thing i thought of and i spoke to some lawyers you could try and bring a lawsuit on behalf of the shareholders select stakeholders shareholders in mm, fox yeah. or defrauding them now that but what would be important is to show that the stock took a hit <laughs> it's not at all clear <laughs> yeah exactly unfortunately that yeah. the stock is taking a hit because what they're doing may seem outrageous craven uh but it's you know they got a base it's an mm-hmm. interesting phenomenon mm-hmm. now they may fear competition from some of these other right-wing networks, which are emerging as more fiery, more denunciatory, Bannon-esque. And in that, there may be a calculus as well to forge ahead. So, you know, it's, uh, it'll be, as I said, the fallout of this has different layers, legal, political, party. How is it going to play in 2024? Yeah. What, what, what do you make of the, what do you make of the distinction that some have uh, attempted to make? That while it's called, of course, the Fox News Channel, the person the persons we're primarily talking about are not journalists; they're opinion makers. Tucker and Laura and Sean. Does that does that sell with you? You you buy that? No, I mean, listen. The nation is uh, very honest about our views. We're a magazine of reporting, investigation, analysis, opinion. Mm-hmm. But opinion can be defamatory. Now, they claim they're sheltered by the First Amendment, its opinion, mm-hmm. but they also bring on people to report, and they do reporting segments. So I think that's a thin line. Um, now, again, the court will, you know, this is a concern, this is a right-wing court. In fact, Tavis, you know this, I mean, with the exception of the Warren Court in the sort of late 50, in the 50s, 60s, the court has not been a friend mm-hmm. of uh, kind of civilizing civil rights, civil liberties advances. So we're, we're watching that. But I don't buy that because I think they're doing news reporting as well, and they are viewed as anchors of their program, not simply Tucker on Crossfire, if people yeah. remember that many, many, many years ago. Sure. I mean, it's horrifying, but some 25, 30 years ago, I did a pilot with Tucker Carlson for PBS. <laughs> PBS. It was, you know, <laughs> there are people, some people involved in, <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> that, oh I, I, I can laugh about that for hours. I mean, let me move on. You mentioned, you mentioned, <laughs> Trump, you mentioned Trump and CPAC earlier. We discussed this on Monday. Of course, he spoke at CPAC last weekend for those who missed that news, uh, four or five days ago. So Trump spoke at CPAC, uh, the conservative political action committee. Um, and, in a straw poll, he received 62% of the vote, which makes him, at the moment at least, still the front runner for the Republican nomination. Uh, what's more significant is that in that poll, uh, it showed he was distancing himself and you know pulling away from, yeah. in that poll, Ron DeSantis and Mike Pence. Uh, and so we talked about it on Monday, but I didn't get a chance to talk to Katrina Vanden Heuvel about it. So since you raised it, um, there are two ways to read the Trump thing, that he got 62% and he's still the front runner. Or that he only got sixty-two percent of an organization, right. so how, how, that, that he that he's been, you know, the the darling of. So, how do you read what Trump did at CPAC last weekend? I think he's maintained his strength. Mm-hmm. Um, CPAC is an odd bird, as you know, Tavis. I mean, its candidate for years was Ron Paul. Right. It's a it's very libertarian. So Rand Paul, Ron Paul, but I think the fact that Trump 
got pretty good reaction uh, suggests that he's still a fave of that crowd, and that's part of his base. Yep. Now, you know, he gave some odious speech, uh, attacking everyone in sight, mm-hmm. you know, laying out his grievances, I'm your retribution. I mean, it's just so grievance-filled. He did at one point, and I discount this, but I mention it, he gave this kind of anti-war riff for about three minutes mm-hmm. about how he um, doesn't believe in endless war, he would end wars now. It's hard to believe, uh, but it is worth noting on a day when the defense budget has been released and it's higher than at any time in our history, including World War II or the Cold War. And I mention that as a segue in a way, because this country, I'm not an isolationist. I believe we need to engage with the world, but this country, Tavis, has so many needs. Mm -hmm. And I think um, we do better rebuilding our country which I think Biden is, you know, committed to in different ways, as are other movements and other good people. But it's hard to do um, when you have these kinds of outlays. And and even uh, and I, I saw that riff for about, for about three minutes, as you mentioned, where he was saying that uh, he would end these wars that we're engaged in. He's not in for for endless war. But the problem with that is, as you well know, and this ain't rocket science. You can be oh, if, if, if in fact he were, God forbid, to win the nomination and God double forbid to be elected again. All his friends in the defense industry would whip him upside no, no, his head, absolutely. and he'd, he'd do a 180 on that because there's too much money to be made by all his, again, all his, his cronies absolutely. in defense in the defense business. So that wouldn't happen. But no, but, but, but before I go to, to, to Biden, uh, since you teed him up, I want to get there in two seconds here. Um, but I want to take your temperature on this as well. Speaking of Trump and the odious uh, uh, comments he made yeah. uh, last weekend, to use your word, Trump said last weekend that even if he's indicted, and you know it could happen in any in, in any one of three different ways. He's going to run. He's going to run. He's not dropping out. He <laughs> says. So if if he's indicted by Fannie Willis in Fulton County, Georgia, if he's indicted in New York State, right. or if he's indicted ultimately by the special prosecutor uh, inside of DOJ, he said either way. He if he's indicted, he is not getting out of this race. My question is uh, not so much what it says about Donald Trump. I'm not surprised to hear him say that. But what box does that put the Republican Party in to have a nominee running who's under indictment? You know, I love my country, but parts of this country are pretty, uh, how to put it, wound up right now. Mm. Um, I think, and I was at this gathering of kind of establishment Democrats the other day, Mm -hmm. and people who've advised for years, one person lives on TV, said if Trump is indicted, you rally the base. Mm. Now, that, this is a different, this is stepping back mm-hmm. before indictment. Mm-hmm. And there's that political calculus of whether indicting Trump will rally those who think he's a martyr. Mm-hmm. I'm just reporting. No, I'm, you know, I'm, you have to try and understand. You know, I'm not condoning. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the fact that he would run indicted, he'll work it. I mean, I'm just reporting. I mean, I think it'll hurt probably with a, it'll hurt with a segment which helped a the Democrats in 2022, the midterms, the women who are horrified by Trump's behavior, the independents who did break for Democrats in 2022, women in the suburbs, and obviously those who are in, you know, I mean, those who are living in a country where, quote, the criminal injustice system is out of bounds in Mm -hmm. so many ways to witness this guy running indicted will inflame rightly those who see him as 
but you what, know, kind of demon. But what pressure does that put on the uh, the chairwoman of the Republican National Committee and establish ah. and establishment Republicans to at that point say, okay, this is you know one step too far. We now have to come out and say I, and con- 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 condemn him and say publicly and collectively that he must get out of the race. What pressure does that put on them, if any? I don't. I mean, I don't. I think there's fear about Trump. There's still fear of transgressing him. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, someone at this meeting also said. And this is a guy who's dealt in political worlds for years that Santos DeSantis doesn't have the match. He's negative magic. He's really going to be exposed in these next weeks, mm-hmm. months as someone who doesn't have it. Now, that that's just some analysis. But I think the party is still timid in the face of Trump's challenge to it. Um, it's not, a, you know, Tavis, you've talked about this with guests it's not really a governing party mm-hmm. at this point. And that's what makes the asymmetry of our system so diff- difficult. But it's really a kind of performative party at this point in many key ways. And by the way, the one thing you do see is a break with some of the key Republicans around the, tr- the uh, Fox stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mitch McConnell, who is going to exit the Senate in a box, not leave walking, but yeah. he, uh, he's, uh, no, I mean, he's permanent. He's eternal, but he, um, you know, they don't like what Tucker did with this other footage yeah. that Kevin McCarthy mm-hmm. glad handed over. So there's a lot of dueling tape, right? Yeah. You got the Dominion, you got the January 6th. And I think in there somehow Trump, you know, still stays strong. I'm not, excited about this yeah. i just think it's but the I, case well i want to just kind of put a frame on this um what you're saying here so we're headed into an election season and we're waiting to hear joe biden say officially he's going to run we'll come to that in a moment here but we're headed into a, a season now a political season where the network of the republican party is on its heels right now uh and may take a hit when all is said and done with this trial uh, uh vis-a-vis fox news and and and, and dominion and their front runner, as evidenced by this poll at CPAC last weekend, could be very quickly here uh, facing indictment. I mean, just think about how that changes the game. That the, that the, that they're that they're the, the leader for their nomination could be facing indictment. The network that runs their agenda could be on its heels. What does that mean? I don't know. We'll continue when we come forward with our guest from the Nation Magazine, Katrina Vandenhoeville. After news, traffic and sports on KBLA Talk fifteen eighty. This is KBLA Talk 1580, where everybody is somebody and nobody is a stranger. You belong here. You do indeed belong here, and I'm glad to have you here in this hour as we continue our conversation now with the editorial director and the publisher of The Nation magazine, Katrina Vandenhoeville. Katrina, before I move on to Joe Biden, who's just made some news now, uh, he's uh, rolled out the plans, the details, I should say, of his budget plan. We'll do that in just two minutes here. But one last thing about Donald Trump, as I said a moment ago before news, traffic and sports, it's fascinating to head, in this, head, it, head into this political season where uh, their network, Fox News, is on its heels. It may take a hit for all this nastiness that's coming out. It's really unveiling who they always have been. Uh, and their front runner uh, could be facing indictment here shortly from any number of uh, places. And here's this news uh, yesterday out of Colorado that one of Trump's ex-attorneys admits statements about the 2020 election were false. They've been censored by a judge and fined. 
So another attorney bites the dust. All these folk around Donald Trump seem to be going down. Everybody's going down but Donald Trump, Katrina. Uh, I find that uh, completely fascinating. We just lost Katrina's phone line. We'll get her back here in just a second. Um, but again, I'm, I'm <clears throat> uh, talking about this story out of Colorado yesterday where uh, Jenna Ellis, uh, one of Trump's attorneys, uh, was censured by a judge yesterday and fined uh, for, uh, again, going on national television. Uh, and saying uh, that uh, they had evidence, that the Trump campaign had evidence that the election was stolen. So Trump's attorneys are, are, were, as you well know, Giuliani and others among them, on national television um, saying uh, boldly and repeatedly that the, uh, that the campaign had evidence that the election was stolen. So uh, some of these attorneys now are starting to pay for that. And so again, in Colorado yesterday, one of his attorneys, former attorneys, uh, Jenna Ellis, admits in court uh, that uh, that information was false and misleading, and she was censored by the judge. She was fined by the judge. I was saying, Katrina, that everybody around Donald Trump seems to be going down, uh, everybody except Donald Trump, that is. What say you? Well, he's the last holdout in many ways. you got his accountant, you got others around him. I, I think it's worth stepping back for a minute, Tavis, because we're talking about lying and really lousy ugly, toxic behavior. But what it's it's really about is denying people the right to vote. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's about voter suppression. It's about voter denial in service of winning. Uh, and I think it's worth reminding people that they are intended to be spectators and demobilized by this Fox pro- the programming. Mm-hmm. And we see it with the revisionist, ugly revisionist t- tapes Tucker rolled out the other day about the peaceful tourists wandering around the White House and how it was just, you know, another day in Washington. So I think that that may come back to haunt them. But I still think they, they're, let's look at in two weeks' time, has their audience share increased mm-hmm. because it's gone on a rampage and it's more in the news and people don't believe that they've lied to them? So... Yeah. So, so let me ask you a question, because you are the publisher and editorial director of a major publication, The Nation magazine. If we just just play with me for a second here. So if sure. if when all is said and done, we find out that all of these um, uh, all this discovery, which all this transparency about who Fox really is and what really goes on behind the scenes, if none of this leads to their to this network taking a hit, if in fact their numbers uh, remain the same or to your point, their numbers go up. Two questions. What what does that say, number one, about the state of corporate media, about the state of journalism, and what does it say more broadly about our country? What say you? It says that our country's on the cusp of tipping into a fact-free world Mm. around the Fox stuff. It requires a media... Maybe not corporate. There are many new media outlets, Tavis. I mean, the nation's been independent since 1865, mm-hmm. and we tried to use fair and balanced, which is a which, by the way, should be a campaign because that is just obscene at this stage. But it, it, our country is polarized. Our country is divided, certainly on social media and cable, and I think we see the growth of that as the country is increasingly divided. Now, why is it divided? It's divided for reasons we'll talk about. The economy, mm-hmm. people feeling anxious, angry, the structural racism in our system, and the fact that Trump, and again, you know, we've been talking about Trump, Trumpism, 
that's what I think is really important to focus on because he could disappear and you would still have what he seized in 2016 opportunistically, this feeling in the country that people weren't being listened to and they were being flown over. And I think that's what has to be addressed, whether by corporate media, independent media, movements, Mm -hmm. which also play a role in defining the reality for millions of people. Uh, You know, the cable station numbers are pretty small. I mean, Fox keeps winning. Broadcast news is where a lot of people still get their news and local news. So Fox has done a good game in bringing attention to itself, but it's has a very vocal, agitated, angry audience. But it's, you know, it's not the numbers, we think. Let me uh, let me pivot uh, from uh, uh, Fox News and Donald Trump um, to uh, President Biden. Uh, breaking news right now. The president, of course, in Philadelphia today uh, and giving a major speech here uh, about his budget and his priorities. And so what we know from what he's just said in Philadelphia is that he uh, is sending to Congress a six point eight trillion dollar budget. And in that budget, Katrina, no surprise here, he's doubling down on the power of government. The president proposed trillions of dollars in new spending. And you and I both know this has no chance of passing in a Republican House, even as even as he sought to reduce deficits by raising taxes on businesses and the rich. So the president's had his say about the budget he's going to send and what his priorities are. uh, What happens now when it lands in Congress with no chance of passing in the House? So, you know, I, I'm i sure you've said this a million times, Tavis, but a budget is more than just numbers, right? Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's your, your values. It's your a more, it's, Dr. King put it this way. It's a a budget document. is a moral document. You got it. You document. got it. You got it. More document. And I really feel that that's important to understand. And yeah, it may be that because of the performative Republicans, they're not going to move on much of this, but it's an important moment and has been for the last few years, Tavis, that Biden has lifted up government, not government on your back, but government on your side. Mm -hmm. And for too long, even Democrats have kind of rallied against this anti-government feeling. But you need government in in your life to, like, for example, the pharma, the drug stuff. Mm -hmm. He's been good on cutting prices, and he's good on some of, listen, the child poverty, you know this, was cut in half. If it had continued, you could have seen some real progress in this country or the child care tax credit. What frustrates me is that people don't know that Biden put some money in their pocket. They know that Trump did because he signed these checks, <laughs> signed them. And it, that was smart. It that, was, that was a smart, that was a very smart move. It was a very smart move. Yeah. I know. Yeah. But it reminds me of the Tea Party guy, like in 220, in 210, who said, um, get government's hands off my Medicare. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't, understand that there's a role for government because it's been so maligned and produced. So I think Biden, he's put a lot of money into climate change work. He's raising taxes on those who can afford it. And it's not about vengeance. It's about fairness. And I think he's investing in this country's, you know, manufacturing and its strengths. I just wish there was a little more money from the defense budget to go into other kinds of jobs and communities which are needed, but also 
it's money that isn't productive in so many ways. Yeah. Everything, Katrina, a lot of money. Yeah, everything Katrina Van Den Heuvel uh, says is, is quotable. I, I love the way <laughs> I, I teach about it all the time. I just love the way she talks because she talks in quotes. I mean, you, you, you heard her say a moment ago, and she can be somebody's campaign manager, right? Uh, I love this. Line, I love this line: "Government on your side, not government on your back." It's about vengeance, not about fairness. I mean, she can be, she can run a campaign. Uh, she, she, she speaks in ways that uh, that I understand, that you understand, and I just love these these phrases. When we come forward, I want to probe something she just said a moment ago. Uh, and I'm thinking now about a book that I read many years ago. One of my favorite books. It was by uh, Mario Cuomo, former uh, three-term governor of New York State. And Mario Cuomo wrote a book years ago called Reason to Believe, Reason to Believe. And I, I loved that book then. I go back to it every now and again. And I've never had I've never read a book where anybody, I think, made a better case for the proper role of government. Let's face it. Republicans, Democrats, conservative liberals. We all believe there is a role for government to play. It's just we think, you know, on the left, government ought to do this which is X, and they think it ought to do Y, and everybody talks that, that, that talk, get government out of your Medicare, get government out of your business, but at the bottom, at, at the bottom line is we all know and believe our taxpayers, our, our dollars go to, to do all this stuff, right? We pay taxes. We all believe there's a, there's a role for government to play. The question is, how do we go about, and, and can we ever get to a place, uh, Katrina, when we come forward, where we have a robust and civil discourse about the proper role of government? I'm not afraid of that conversation. I'm not afraid to engage that, but why can't we ever have a, 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 as a nation, a robust and civil discourse about whatever the proper role of government ought to be? That's where things break down, it seems to me, that we know, again, that government has to do X, Y, or Z. We just can't agree on what that is. How do we have a conversation about that? Can we? Am I dreaming? I don't know. We'll see what Katrina says when we come forward on KBLA Talk 15. Let's unpack a little bit more with Tavis Smiley. The conversation continues right now. Right now. Right now. So, Katrina, am I uh, am am I on crack? Uh, should I put down the crack pipe when I, when I ask <laughs> when I ask whether or not we could ever have a robust and civil dialogue about the proper role of government in our society? That is a you know I'll tell you television often goes for the extremes, right? I mean, at the moment people are talking about Dominion and some of the kooky stuff, scary stuff Republicans are doing. But to have a robust civil conversation, I think Chris Hayes, who I hired at 28 to be the Washington editor of The Nation, mm -hmm. he has done town halls around the country on criminal justice, on education, on um, children in poverty. I mean, I think if you can have people sit, for example, as he did in a community outside of Kentucky, and just talk to people for an hour and a half, two hours, as you do, three hours a morning, three hours a day. Mm -hmm. You can begin to talk, but there is a polarization. I was in North Carolina in Mooresville, NASCAR territory, a few weeks ago for a family event. But, you know, you may mention taxes. That is the third rail still because people don't, unlike in some countries where the taxes may be higher, you, a lot of people don't feel they're getting the benefits or the services. But... I do think Democrats have found a winning way in talking about government on your side. And I wrote a column about two months ago about the FDA improving hearing aids over the counter. This was a big deal. They're expensive. Every mm -hmm. family has someone who, and I think it's important for Democrats to make clear that they're on the side of working class families and how you do that in a media environment, which prizes spectacle division mm -hmm. is tough. Yeah. It's tough, but it's real because Biden has really 
done some game-changing things and has spoken of Rooseveltian moment and has, you know, tried to ease the burden of medical debt, the student loan, maybe not as far as he might have gone, but these are all things that should impact people's lives through, it is through government. Mm -hmm. But, you know, remember Reagan, what did he say, the scariest four words is, Government is at your door. <laughs> and then President Clinton wasn't, you know, too big on government, and even President Obama. Um, I will say every day when I see the postal, the post guy, you know, that's a civil service, which has elevated millions into the middle class, especially African Americans. And to decimate government's role would mean a country a lot of people might not recognize. Yeah. You mentioned uh, two things that just made me think. Um, you mentioned Reagan, and you preceded that by mentioning Roosevelt. Uh, and you'll appreciate this. I you think. know, Roosevelt, Reagan voted for Roosevelt four times. Yeah, uh, you, you'll love this. Uh, I was <laughs> I was on a call the other day. I, I called to check on Reverend Jesse Jackson. Uh, as we all know, he, oh, has, yeah. he has Parkinson's, and I got to get I got to get to Chicago to see him again sometime soon. And He's at that point where it's um, he's he's making it, but um, you know at some point we all have to do that dance with mortality. Jimmy Carter's doing it right now yeah. in Georgia. Exactly. Uh, Jesse's doing it in Chicago. It, it we all will do that dance at some point. So I I called him the other day just to check on him and see how I was doing until I was going to come to Chicago and see him before too long here. Yeah. And I said to him we were uh, talking, and he's not not so easily understood these days on the phone. But I was saying to him. Um, I was, he loves when I, uh, I tease him about some of my favorite Jesse Jackson quotes and uh, at the, at the top of my list, at the top of my list was Jesse Jackson at the big convention, the democratic convention. Absolutely. When he dropped that line, I'd rather have Roosevelt in a wheelchair than Reagan Ooh. on a horse. I'd rather oh, have Roosevelt in a wheelchair than Reagan on a horse. Oh, and the, the convention hall just went up when Jesse Lewis Jackson dropped that line. Give me Roosevelt in a wheelchair over Reagan on a horse any day of the week, it killed. I digress. Our remaining moments with Katrina Vandenhuber when we come forward on KBLA Talk 158. I was teasing you earlier, Katrina, about the way you express yourself. You think Democrats, though, seriously, are getting any better at messaging? Well, I was just going to close, Tavis, by you mentioned Mario Cuomo. I mean, I think two of the great speeches at conventions were Mario Cuomo and Jesse Jackson. Yep, yep, yep. I, yep. For, I forget if it was 84, 88, but Jackson's speech is a marker of a mm -hmm. great, you know, not only speaker, but someone who connected with millions of people. The nation in 88 endorsed him and his movement yep. for president. And uh, I think we need, you know, people aren't giving soaring speeches. Maybe language has been degraded, but I think there, there's a chance. Yeah. Um, Bernie's not, Bernie Sanders, very different, not known for his speech making. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's important to carry people with you to speak to their values, to speak to them. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And I, the uh, Jesse speech was extraordinary and I was moving to see him in Selma this past weekend. Uh, as you said, yeah. it, I, you I, know, I think, I think yeah. you're right. I mean, there's none better than, than Mario Cuomo and Jesse Jackson when it comes to messaging and, and, and getting the point across. Uh, and so those guys are those guys are outliers in some way. They were just so gifted uh, at what they did. Uh, but sometimes I feel sorry for Joe Biden because I, it, if you look at what he, if you look at what he's accomplishing, I know. he's actually got no, some absolutely. stuff done. But the messaging just falls well, flat. Well, Obama all the was time. a great speaker too. Yeah. Obama was a great speaker and brought along millions, obviously. But um, you know, Biden's strength is not his, his speaking, but it is that he has decided this is a Rooseveltian moment of the 21st century. I'm writing a column now, Tavis, about the rollback of 
uh, you know, child labor's back. Right. I mean, it's just kind of like, what? Yeah. And Sarah Huckabee Sanders the other day kind of vetoed any protection. I was supporting it. And I think of the civilizing advances of the 20th century. Reagan, in a way, began to recycle and fight back against them, to roll back the civilizing advances. So it's a moment of struggle, uh, and it's going to require a country mobile, you know, mobilized, not mobilized peacefully, yeah. though the forces of reaction are, you know, not going to accept. You saw, we saw that January 6th. So. Yep. Katrina, I always enjoy talking to you. I thank you for this hour to unpack some of these uh, trending national political issues. We will do it again. Look forward to your column. All the best to you, my friend. Thank you. Thanks. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks. Katrina. Uh, we mentioned Jesse Jackson a moment ago. Jesse Jackson, uh, as you all know, got his start working for a guy named Martin Luther King Jr. We will speak in the next hour to his eldest son, Martin Luther King III, and his wife, uh, Andrea Waters King, about their work and their witness and about this new docuseries um, that they are uh, a part of and behind called Protect, Serve. We will talk with Martin Luther King uh, the third and Andrea Waters King after news, traffic, and sports on KBLA Talk 1580.